Today's episode on Coffee with Braz, we'll be speaking with one of my best friends, Shani Layton. For those of you who have not had the pleasure of meeting Shani Layton, she is one of the kindest people you'll ever meet. She is not just a great athlete, but also an amazing human. She's someone that you could ask to do anything and she would make sure it happened. One thing I love about Shani is she's not what you always think she'll be. She is spiritual, she is funny, but wow, yes, you all know it, she is loud. I'm so excited for this episode. Make sure you tune in. Today's episode is brought to you by VRGF. Love the game, not the odds. So thank you, Shani Layton, for being my first person on my podcast with Coffee with Braz. Oh, just pumped, Braz, like, especially because I'm the first. So You were always going to be the first, let's be <laughs> real. But I did already make an error. You had to bring me the coffee rather than me giving you the coffee. Um, and what have you, you given me? Um, so I was at the barista and I was like, okay, I know that I'm getting an almond cappuccino and for Braz I'll get, and I froze. And I was like, oh, my God, what does Braz have? And I was like, I think it's full cream, but no, it's 2020. No one drinks full cream coffee. So I got you a soy cappuccino. And <laughs> what's the verdict? Listen, I say I love coffee and I drink anything, but... <laughs> um, but I knew you didn't drink soy, but I panicked. Well, I just panicked, Braz. I don't know if I'll be able to finish it, but thank you so much. <laughs> you got, did you say flat white or is it... No, like when You've I left. everything wrong. I tell people you're my best mate and I, I take it back, everyone. I know. Someone I that doesn't know my coffee order, I'm pretty embarrassed. As soon as I left, I was like, oh, my God, she drinks a flat white and that's it, right? Full cream milk. Yeah, full cream. I don't know why I panicked. Like, it was just like friendship is on the line here and I've ruined it. Like I just, are you still coming to my wedding? I don't know. I don't know. Like <laughs> I know you're a vegetarian, but have you gone vegan? Like why not the milk? Um... Because I just, like, I have almond milk and cow's milk just makes me really bloated. But I've been, I do, I'm not vegan, I'm vegetarian, but I follow a lot of the vegan memes and it kind of has, like, people sucking out of a cow teat and that just totally turns me off drinking milk when you envision that image. Like, it just says totally, like, and I'm not against dairy at all. Like, I love cheese. Um, but I just can't do cow's milk anymore. I can just, just my vision right now is you just sucking an arm and trying to get the milk out. <laughs> <laughs> but I love Where it. Where is the it. milk? I love it. And just because it's coffee with Braz, I'm going to quickly a few questions about coffee. Yes. How many coffees do you have a day? Oh, this is my third, um, but I'm trying to limit it to two because I find A, after three, I just don't feel anything anyway. And then I just have a bit of a, a come down and also like just... Yeah, too Paint, much money. So much money. Well, buy a coffee machine. That well, does save you money. Yeah, I think that might be my Christmas present. Yeah. Oh, very good. Very yeah. good. Um, and I don't think it's a rumour because I'm pretty sure I've seen you. Um, before a game, and this was probably more netball rather than footy, the rumour was that you'd have two, three, four, maybe even five coffees before a game <laughs> <laughs> and then um, you'd have no-dos in between. Is this true? Um. Okay, so I'd wake up in the morning and I would have my coffee and then – I would then get another coffee on the way to the game. But I think the rumour became around because, like, I get a double shot. So technically that's two coffees in the morning and then two coffees before a game because it's double shot. Um, and then I would pop a no-dose at half time just in case because it takes half an hour for a no-dose to kick in, right? So if I thought if I take it at the start of half time, it won't affect me in the third quarter. But in the fourth quarter, like, I would just come out screaming. And I always did. I was always a fourth quarter player. 
And if you have been living under a rock, um, people that don't really know netball, Shani was a goalkeeper. So the fact she thinks she needs that much caffeine <laughs> to stay in one third of the court absolutely <laughs> blows my mind. But the way you played um, and intimidated all of us, I'm now thinking it wasn't actually you, it was more your caffeine high. It was. And I do have to say, like, kids at home, please don't do this. Like, this is not a healthy habit. Um, and please see your dietitian or nutritionist before undertaking anything that I may have done during my career. And now that I'm playing football, do you know, I can't drink coffee before a game because I peak and fall. Whereas netball, I could just kind of like cruised. So, and again, to my point, you've gone from one third <laughs> to now being a ruck that runs up and down the ground like a crazy woman. I so know. I understand that. Oh my gosh. Well done. I know. But so, I have a bone to pick with you ooh. because you were like, shiny football's so much fun. Like, it's so easy. And I was like, great. I don't think I ever said easy. <laughs> well, you made it seem easy because you were so good at it. So maybe I interpreted your, like how well you went at it as that it was easy, but that's still your fault. And it is so hard, Braz. Like running in football is so hard and you just made it look like a dream. And I was just, yeah. So I just had to pick that bone with you about how easy you made it look and how much I've struggled. Yeah, but we've, we've done the reverse. So I'm a centre in netball and yeah. a back. <laughs> in football. So that's why you don't enjoy it. And um, I love footy because I, I get the rest. <laughs> You're the goalkeeper. It's great. Yeah, it's awesome. Maybe I should do the coffee thing for footy. But, yeah. Um, a lot of people wouldn't know this, but we lived with each other for 12 months at the Australian Institute of Sport. Mm. Um, the th first thing I remember about you was for me it was such an honour to, to go down to the AIS. Like I just yes. fight very hard to get into that team. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure I had to wait for someone to decline the offer to actually get accepted where you, again, being opposite, <laughs> you got the opportunity to go there and you refused to go unless you brought a pet. And now what blows my mind is a lot of people, if they're saying a pet down to the AIS, moving to Canberra, they'd bring a goldfish. Yeah. But what pet did you bring to the Australian <laughs> Institute of Sport? Well, you're right because I know the rowers brought a turtle. They had, they had a pet turtle. Um, but I brought my horse, Laylee, my 17 two-hand Irish sports draft horse that could have probably towed a carriage. So, yeah, and you're right. I did. I said to Simone, because I wasn't ready to give up horse riding yet, I used to compete um, and I loved it. I competed in state show jumping and I said to her, look, Simone, like I would really love to uptake this scholarship. However, if I can't bring my horse, then I, I just can't do it. And what, why couldn't you do it? Was it the just life away from netball or was that your passion as well? Was that something, did you want to go to the Olympics? Yeah, I, I wanted to go to the Olympics. So my goals were I wanted to make World Youth Cup in netball, but never in my wildest dreams did I think I'd make the Open Australian team. And I thought that I was going to make an Australian team in equestrian. That was my goal. So I would have preferred to have quit netball and continued on my dream to riding in the Olympics um, than a World Youth Cup, which was 21 and under. But the fact that Simone was great and she said, Shans, is it going to interfere with your training? And I said, no, nope. I've got a paddock and everything for it. I'll go around training so it doesn't affect it. She was like, well, no issue. So I was pretty lucky there. But, yeah, so it was more um, that wanting to go to the Olympics was my main dream. And people are worried about me playing football. I'd be more worried about you riding a horse. <laughs> like that just – I yeah. know you're a horse rider. I still can't see it. <laughs> I know, but I can't wait to get back out there again because obviously I'm getting back into riding now um, and I want you to come out when I start competing again because when you see someone doing cross-country or show jumping, like it's just the best experience. Like at the level that I was competing at, 
I was jumping over, you know, four or five foot jumps um, that a solid wouldn't like it's like this desk, like it's a solid object. So if your horse hits it, like it's game over pretty much. Um, and that terrifies me, but it's so exciting that an animal puts its trust in you to put it over something so big. So it's the teamwork. So that's why I love netbook because of the teamwork. But when you have that teamwork with an animal that you can't physically talk to, like it's amazing. And as a kid was, was like horse riding the priority, netball, footy, what was like, mm. where was the, the big goal for that? Uh, it was all horses, all horses. So netball, I was so uncoordinated. I'd trip over at all the trials when I was 15 and under. I was still in B teams and I started riding when I was eight years old and I remember watching the 96 Olympics and Gillian Rolton was doing the cross-country course and she came off at the start and over um, – so the horse was jumping down. She's fallen off and broken her collarbone and two ribs and she's got back on the horse and completed the cross-country, which is a couple of kilometres and about 26 jumps long. Um, and I was like, how mad is this chick to be riding this horse with broken ribs and collarbones so that Australia could get a gold medal? That's what I want to do. So I guess I knew I was nutty from, like, a young age. But, yeah, I would ride my horse – five, six times a week um, and then netball was just a hobby that I did on top of that. Like long shot but could you still make the Olympics now? Like is there like obviously um, netball and footy there's kind of an age limit, your body stops but you're on mm. a horse so it's I guess a lot to do with them. Can you can you still do that now? Is that still a goal? Um, my goal is to compete internationally like so I could compete at an international Melbourne event if I obviously had a good horse and qualified uh, but Olympics is pretty far off. Like you need to be like with any sport, you need to be in the inner circles like the people who are competing at the Olympics these days um, were competing in the 90s when I was growing up watching them. So the fact that they've been so around still for... Going. They're still going. So, yeah. um, you know, Amanda Ross, I don't know what her married name is, but Andrew Hoy, who's in dressage. Um, yeah, there's a lot of the same people who are still competing because, like you said, once they've made it, they can keep going into their 60s and 70s and, yeah, it's pretty pretty incredible. So it's really hard to break into those circles. So I don't think that I would... Um, go that far and there's obviously a lot of money involved uh, but to be able to ride at the my goal is to ride at the Adelaide International because I used to go and watch it when I lived in Adelaide and to be able to do something like that would be yeah awesome I love that it's crazy like blows my mind that you can it can just go for so long like I wish yeah. we could do that just I keep know. playing for well we just forever. need a horse on that maybe <laughs> polo <laughs> nah, you just need an animal doing it for you Braz oh, I think I'd rather a motorbike you got more yeah. control of that you stay with your horse and I'll jump on a motorbike yeah. <laughs> um, but another thing being at the AIS you know we have so many funny stories and um, exciting ones like one you cut my hair one time and <laughs> um, that will never happen again um I will put a photo up on this because I <laughs> actually a had photo? a mullet. I, I will find one. Um, it's, it's you know, we laugh now, but I was, it hurt me hard. But can we explain? Why did I trust what? you? Because I told you that my sister was a hairdresser and that I knew how to cut hair and you believed me. And then I realised as I was getting shorter, I was like, oh, my God, this isn't how it looks right. So I kept on going shorter to try and fix it and next minute you had a mullet. You, but had, you kept going you shorter on top and not the bottom. So um, 
I actually thought there was a moment there it grew out a little bit. I thought this is epic and I haven't ever been yeah. up to, to that stage. Well, it was probably a week where I liked it. But yeah, you're just going to call me, babe. Never again. <laughs> ever, ever again. Um, and we also went on a um, pretty crazy camp. Yeah, For me, um, it was one of the best camps I've ever been on. Mm. Um, and the AIS decided to put us on a plane. We had no idea where we were going. No, we didn't. Um, and we got picked up in Coffs Harbour um, from, with an army guy and – yeah, for me, that camp, I laugh at it because it's the first time they ever did it and the last time they ever did it. We've never, No one's ever gone back. Um, no. <laughs> so we, for people who um, yeah, wouldn't know this story, we actually went um, to some this guy's farm who used to be an army sergeant and we became just crazy army people that got yelled mm. at a lot, um, blindfolded <laughs> a lot. We had to carry weapons. <laughs> blindfolded. Um, but... Yeah, how did and you yeah. find that camp? It was horrific. It was so horrific. So we rocked up. We obviously packed all of our bags, but we didn't know what to pack because we didn't know where we were going. And do you remember when we landed and when we got to this camp in the middle of nowhere, they took all of our bags. So we had nothing. We had the same undies, the same bra. We absolutely stunk. Yeah, three, and then, three of their outfits they gave us and a little... Yeah. Survival pack. A little ration pack. Yeah. yeah. That we thought was for dinner. <laughs> and yeah. It was not for dinner. No. It was meant to last us for, I think. For 24 hours. Yeah. And we trained for at least eight or nine of those 24 hours, which a normal athlete would need probably six meals during the day to be able to fuel their body for. And we had a muesli bar. A can of beans, or could have been dog food. It was it disgusting. Is, yeah. um, but I my you would like that fa- vegetarian. <laughs> um, but my favourite thing, I think they had a packet of like teddy bear biscuits. <laughs> like they'd literally just gone to the supermarket and gone, that'll do them. <laughs> like, it comes in a pack of 12. <laughs> yeah, and then you fell asleep by the fire and ended up waking up with a leech on your face. Yeah, you, that wasn't, Like yeah. that would have been horrific. <laughs> well, I didn't see it. No. <laughs> I think if I was the person looking at me, oh. I would have freaked out. But I think you and I had the the job of one night. There was a fire that had to stay alight for 24 hours and you and I had the job to allocate the people who had to stay up at each hour. Um, And I remember that was for me one of the toughest things because we wanted to give us like the 3 a.m. times because that was the hardest, but we weren't allowed to. Yes. Um, So we became quickly the not... Not, people didn't like us on that camp. Because they didn't know we weren't allowed to give us those times. Yeah, and then... I remember that night though, we were all that cold that yeah. we all just slept in front of the fire, but we all fell asleep. And then, yep. I wish I remember the guy's name, but he. Sir. 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 Yes, yes, sir. If you didn't call him sir, you were doing push ups. <laughs> yeah. Came out with a loudspeaker at <laughs> 3 a.m. and we had to start running. <laughs> yeah, because we weren't allowed to be sleeping yeah. by the fire. And he cracked it at us. But I remember because I was in a tent with Laura Sherian and, like, she needed to get out because I just, like, stunk it out. <laughs> Like completely farted the tent out. I was trying to warm it up. Like, Shezzy, I'm trying to help you, mate. Um, But we were like, even though I was that stinky, she was still trying to hug me because we were just trying to use each other's body warmth because we didn't have our bags to put extra clothes on to add warmth. It was just ridiculous. It was crazy. Yeah. And then the best bit was on the last night, because I think we were there for three yeah. days or nights in the end, that even Simone and Sue, our coaches, were like, oh, my God, we're so sorry. Like, get us out of here. Well, I remember, and this is Dobbin in the Melbourne Vixens coach here, yeah. that Simone McKennis, she was our head coach at the AIS, she participated day one. Yeah. And then day two and three did not leave the fire. Yeah, <laughs> she didn't like, leave the fire. I don't fire. even think she spoke to us. No. 
But she's the one that put us there. Yes. I would love to know what the Vixens are doing camp-wise now. But they would not be doing that. But how do you find camps like that? Do you think they're – like I feel like this generation, we've gone away from that. Um, mm. Army camp, except obviously last year our footy team did it. Do you think they're worthwhile as a team? I think they're worthwhile to a certain extent, um, especially for younger players that haven't experienced them before. I think they're really good because they do teach you to harden up. Um, but as a 32-year-old and, as you know, like when we went on our army camp last year with the Pies, um, like it was still really enjoyable but I was just like, oh, man, I've just done too many of these in my day. Like I've, I've done them. I know how hard they are. I know how to shut my mind off and push through them. Um, but they are tough. But I think that there's a fine line. I think you need to learn how to push through them physically. I think where there's been a bit of controversy with teams um, in the past, and this is all sports, netball, football, whatever it may be, is when you get involved with the psychological side. And I don't think that that's okay. I think if you're just pushing through in a physical sense, you need to learn how to do that. Like if you're not crying, then (laughs) this is a bit of hard ass shiny here, isn't it? If you're not crying, then you haven't broken yourself to a point that you know how to push through. And I think by doing my very first trainer with the Melbourne Kestrels back in 2003 um, was an SAS guy. And so we did SAS training my first three years of the Kestrels and he broke me but built me up so many times and I believe that's what made me such a resilient player. So, yeah, I'm absolutely all for them but not every year. Like you need to spread it out and, and balance it out. But I love the challenge of doing something different. I don't want to just get on a netball court and run laps. Everyone does that. And I don't want to sit down in a circle and share feelings either. Yeah, so I agree. And I reckon it's like you, you get to know your teammates better as well. Mm. You get to find out who can push themselves to one level and then, okay, well, how do I need to support the others that don't like this kind of exercise? And Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and it comes – uh, that one of the exercises that we did last year was holding the rope out in front of us. And mm. if we didn't hold it tight enough, then you were in the middle with a, a big metal <laughs> ring. Yes. And how, like, that was so much heavier than we, we were holding. And like, yeah. we didn't, I didn't even know you were holding that. But just to see how determined you were and the girls around you having to hold that to try and support a team out, I think that's when they work because you, you're doing it together rather than individually. Mm. And then you can put that out on the football field. But if you don't have those experiences, in a sense outside of the football field, then you don't have that, like we were going to go out and we were going to fight for every ball together mm. because I was standing in the middle of that circle cry, <laughs> crying, legit, like we'll try and find the photo and put it up as well. I'm pretty yeah. sure I had like the best sob face going on. But even though I was crying, I did not drop that ring. Um, no, and I have never, I haven't seen you cry like doing an exercise before. Yeah, like, like it so, was so like hard. Yeah, they know how to break you. That's yeah, sure. definitely. And they were doing things like, and I think that this was probably the hardest thing is saying to us that someone had dropped the rope, which meant we had to do like different burpees, different exercises, mm, ten burpees each. Time. And then knowing, I think, I don't know, being older, knowing that no one did drop it, yes, and you still had to do it. I think that's what got me. I'm like. This isn't right. <laughs> this is not a rule. You're I know. Lying. Like if we lie, we get punished. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm looking at you crying, and I'm like, I was just getting angry. I know. I think you, everyone was getting really being, upset. You were crying, but I like credit to you. You were still yeah. positive, crying. You got this team. Yeah, like, it was so good. <laughs> I was still encouraging Where I the was team. Like, just wanted to tackle this guy. Yeah, like, but isn't lying. that? But that just shows right there when you're put under pressure. How do you react? You know, yeah. I might cry, but I'll still push through. But yeah. you'll get really angry, so I'll be yeah. like, all right. You know that you might need to give me a kick up the butt, Shani, stop crying. Um, And you need to tell me to be happy. (laughs) And I need to tell you to – I need to calm you down because I know that you won't think straight if you're 
you know, angry and I'm the exact same. So, yeah. you know, it's pushing each other to the brink, just like you said earlier, to see how you react and then you know how to help each other on the football field, which is the biggest thing. But I must say I wouldn't have... Like five years ago, I wouldn't have cried doing that exercise. I would have just pushed through. But since I went through all my depression and stuff and I learned that actually tapping into your vulnerability is such a strength, I now find it okay to cry. Like I wasn't embarrassed by crying. I was just like it's emotion and it's coming out of my eyes because what I'm doing is hard. But I don't see that as a weakness. Like I was still able to do the exercise and so I would like to now break down barriers around what crying really is. And how did did you learn that? Like was that – did you Mm. learn that from – going through a bit of depression, breaking down, like was that all through like I guess experience or did you have to see people for help with that? I had to see, yeah, people for help, definitely. If I didn't have my psychiatrist and psychologist during that time, during my depressive episode, um, a part of the reason because of my depressive episode was because I put a mask on, because I kept on pushing through all the time and wasn't listening to the Shani that was struggling on the inside, like that Shani just broke. Um, And I know I'm talking about my self in third person here, but we are all as one. Um, And so then once I learned, okay, I'm not feeling okay and that's okay, but I can still get up and do things, whereas I didn't let it overtake my whole body just because I was sad I didn't stop doing the things that I needed to do. Um, But, you know, from one day something that I needed to do might have been getting out of bed and getting a coffee and that was a huge win. So even the fact that I'm now able to get up and go to camps and do these things is such a huge win for me in my life because of the state that I was in at one current point in my life. But, yeah, as I said, I couldn't have... Um, realised my personality and known that it was okay to be me and break down if I hadn't have had the support or that psychological support from those experts around me. I would probably still be pushing through to this day and really struggling. Yeah, and I want to talk about the mask. You said you had the mask on and you... Um, and that's probably where that depression came from. Yes. You, just, you had to figure out who you were, what mask were you putting on today because I would say you had like a few. Yeah. Like, away from how you were at training to the way from my house and... Mm. But... From the AIS to the next time I saw you, it was like 10 years later. Yeah. <laughs> and you went from this country kid with a horse and it was just – you never saw her at the AIS because if she wasn't training, she was with her horse. Yeah. To not just Shani anymore, you became Shani Layton. Like I know that's mm. your name but like when people <laughs> spoke about you and even yeah. you, you'd call yourself Shani Layton. Like, yeah. And you were this – the biggest thing in netball. Like you were the Mm. first big personality and everyone loved you. And I felt like I didn't even know you. Like I was so excited to play with you again. And I was like, she's not even going to remember who I am. Um, (laughs) And then we played with, but that's just, you know, my first time in the Diamonds. Yeah. You'd you'd cemented your spot in the Diamonds. Um, And um, I remember we're sitting in the change room. It's 2016, January. You're sitting in the corner and you're (laughs) meditating. (laughs) And I'm just looking at you going, what is she doing? But I'm like, all right, each to their own. I'm just like, you know, listening to some music. And you're quiet, you're silent. And all of a sudden you're like, and then I was looking back over and you're doing like these push-ups clapping like and you're hitting your chest, getting so revved up. And I was like, okay, she's she's changed again. And all of a sudden you'd be back meditating. And I was like, all right, Charney has lost it. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know this girl. She's a weirdo. Uh, Nat, Nat Medhurst and I had a good little chuckle to ourselves. 
But then that game, you came out and I reckon got like 20 intercepts. Like you mm. were the reason we won that game. It was unbelievable. And um, just to be able to be on the bench and witness how you played that game was just unbelievable. But was that – did you have to meditate before the game because of the pressure? Like it, people mm. came to our games just to watch you. Like was that in the back of your mind at all? No. So I meditate. I'm a very spiritual person. Um, and so for me to be fully in the zone uh, when I play sport, and I'm not so much, I'm a bit more relaxed with football, to be honest, but when I was playing my best netball, so when I would meditate the first time, it was about obviously just concentrating on my breathing and meditation is all about being in the moment. So you're not thinking about anything. And what that did was that parked Shani the person because Shani the person wasn't welcome on the netball court, too nice, likes to talk to people and that wasn't going to serve me. So by me meditating parks me, um, the person, and was channeling Shani the netballer, which was like put on your little superhero cape and away you go. And then so once I'm fully present within my body... The purpose behind that is everything that we do at training is you've done it at training. You know how to do it. So when I'm meditating the second time, I'm actually envisioning what I did at training, what my play is doing. I'm going to know what I'm doing on her. So I've already got in my head what my play is doing so I can already see it in my head. So when I get out there on court, I'm never thinking. I'm just in the moment reading the play, reading my player. And that takes a lot of time and practice. Like I definitely wasn't doing that in the first five or six years of my career. Um, But it was something as my spirituality grew and my spiritual practice grew that when I started incorporating that into my games, my game just went to a whole new level because I had this belief that I had done everything that I needed to um, and I was just out there, it was me, my team and the ball, and that just en- enabled me um, to be able to play my best game. So none of the – all the other fun stuff about the fans coming and all the rest of it, that all came after. After that final whistle was blown, then I could go and high-five and sign autographs and stuff. But in that moment of playing, it was just about me being in the moment, focusing on my game, knowing what I needed to do and not letting anyone else distract me. And I'm a weird person because I've been in and out of leadership groups my whole life because I lead by example and but people can also see me doing that as really selfish because I'm staying within myself. So depending on what team I've been in has depended on whether they've seen it as a leadership or a weakness. But I've never tried to – I've always tried to stay the same and not change no matter what team I've been in. Yeah, I, I, not, I find that interesting, like that last comment about being a leader because – that, that's how I define a leader is someone like you've been voted in to be a leader for that reason is because mm. we love you for who you are. And so I respect that, that you don't change. Cause I think sometimes becoming a leader become, can become powerful. Yes. And like how they, a lot of people change very mm. quickly. And that's one thing I've loved about you is you don't change with a title or no title. You're still, you're a leader regardless. So I love that yeah. about you. Thanks, but the like, I know you're spiritual, but a lot of people wouldn't think that about you. So mm. where did that come in? Where did that come from? Funnily enough, um, I've always journaled. Like I've always had um, what I like to call an inner knowing about, you know, like I always knew that I wanted to play netball, you know. So what, when you're young, what do you know you want to do? So that's kind of like your spiritual guidance and pathway of where you want to go. But a lot of people don't label it that way. Um, but I've always been very intuitive. And then in 2012, I just started doing yoga because I was really, really stiff. My sister did it. So I was like, I'm going to give this stuff a go. But then when you're in the yoga class, I started bringing out angel cards and start bringing out the crystals and then they start meditating and doing that side of it. And my sister actually 
got into that side of it first and started reading me, her cards that she brought and it was just something that we started tapping into and when I tapped into it, it just made my life better. Like the cards always told me what I needed to hear and when I put my faith in the universe over you know, just hoping that things were going to happen when I could pass over my worries to some to another entity, whatever that might be, might be God, the universe, whatever people believe in, your cat, um, then you don't have to worry about that stuff anymore. And I noticed that I was just a happier person. And then I looked into a few different religions. Funnily enough, I was living in Adelaide at the time and I started going to church and I thought... I love community and I love how church brought people together. But then um, I just realised after going to church a few times that I definitely wasn't religious. <laughs> Liked the stories but didn't believe in them. So um, was, was the yoga pre-Adelaide? Yes. Yeah, so the yoga was pre-Adelaide. And then um, I started doing Buddhism and I started going to temples and doing Buddhist classes and I was like, I love their way of life and I love their... Beautiful way of life, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And just their teachings about um, obviously being very present and detachment and, um, you know, no one's bigger or better than anyone else and all of that kind of thing just sat really well with me. And so it was probably, yeah, that was probably 2013. And I always made sure whenever I was on tour with the diamonds because you get so caught up in all the nipple stuff... Um, I always made sure that I would find a yoga studio or a Buddhist temple and I would always go to a class whenever I was away on tour to help me stay grounded. So that's like, so it's something that you found yourself rather than the sporting world telling you to do it? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I don't think there's many people in the. There might be more people in the sporting world that do it. I know when I was on tour, Bianca Chatfield used to come with me um, and we used to do it together. But yeah. apart from that, nah, I think everyone, like you said, like you looked at me meditating in the... Change Dude, room. I looked and at you meditating. I looked at you having rocks in your drink bottle. Yeah. Um, <laughs> crystals. Yeah. Spray, Sorry, crystals but <laughs> that's where cleansing. I went wrong. No. Yeah. <laughs> it was a cleanse. But no, you were already so strong within who you are and that is such a beautiful trait, you know, but you've done a lot of work on yourself to get there um, and this was the work that I had to do to personally get there. But what a lot of people who watch you know, athletes on TV don't realise is that we have to do that work on ourselves as humans to be great athletes. Yeah, and that, like you say, like I'm strong in myself but as an athlete you're always looking for that 1% because I remember, mm. you, remember um, watching you and even um, being at Collingwood together and just things that you would do that I would never do and like I'm thinking to myself, I wonder if that would change me, like mm. it, would that make me a better athlete? But you're right, it works for some, works for other people. Like, yeah. I can't sit there that long and not go crazy. Yeah. So you can just be in a total different world. Like it's, yeah. ama it's amazing to watch. And, yeah, I actually love when you're in that zone because it's it, like you can tell by looking at you, you're not you're not here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm somewhere else. You're in a good place. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I love that. It's the best. Um, so you, you went – you played with Adelaide then you went to the New South Wales Swifts and then Collingwood. Yes. Um, so – Tour to Oz. Tour to Oz. Um, you're a Collingwood baby. You've yeah. always gone for Collingwood. Yeah. Was it family? No, no, I don't know. I think I was really young. I was a ladder hopper, like whoever was on the top of the ladder when I was younger, that was me. So I think there was like Geelong, Richmond was there at one stage back in the 90s, the Cats, North Melbourne. So it's only um, really been since 2010. Yeah, and then one year I was like, oh, I was in primary school, but I was like, I'm going to go for the bottom team. And it was Collingwood. We were on the bottom of the ladder and I just jumped over and I don't know why, I just connected with Collingwood and I just stuck with them ever since. Like I started supporting them and then like Collingwood just has this aura around it that 
the supporters just love it and they're so passionate and they don't care what anyone else thinks and it's very me, very my personality, I think. So, yeah, I just always supported them and as I went through high school then I started, you know, getting all the clip outs and then we started making finals and I had the boys all over my wall but, you know, opposite to most teenage girls, they had the boys on their wall probably because they thought they were hot um, (laughs) whereas I just generally liked them as footballers. So, yeah, it was just – and then I got really nutty like when I was probably late teens that I was like, Collingwood! Like I don't know if you remember me at – Calling um, at the AIS, but I used to wear my jumper around. I and didn't follow footy, so oh. I didn't know. Like, well, I went for the Swans, but yeah. like being from Sydney, that's all you know. So yes. I probably thought you were in a basketball jumper. Yeah, like, maybe. I had no idea. Yeah, <laughs> I loved them. Yeah, so I was a little bit nutty there for a while. And you even worked for them. I did, yeah. So then um, that year I came back from the Australian Institute of Sport. I was playing with the Melbourne Vixens, benching with the Melbourne Vixens for a year. Playing. Yeah. (laughs) No, you're benching. But um, I I needed a job and prior to um, to going to the AIS I was a removalist and I knew that if I wanted to make it in netball then I couldn't be a removalist because moving houses is very tiring. Um, And they said we've got – because the VIS, um, the Victorian Institute of Sport, was in the same office and we had the same gym as Collingwood. So they were like, oh, let's see if we can find a job for you. And then they were like – got a job in membership do you want it and I was like hell yeah so I was the Collingwood membership lady it was my my dream come true what did you have to do you just answer phone calls and yeah do you know what the best I used to get like a bit like um frazzled you know it's a bit nerve-wracking answering phone calls especially when you're not really an office lady and so I used to answer the phone and go shiny membership speaking (laughs) (laughs) did anyone correct you Oh, I didn't do it all the time, but oh, um, yeah. But I'll just—I mean, sh- I mean, oh. Uh, but yeah, I was just the phone girl, the email girl. But um, look, I'm going to be honest. I don't think I did too much work. I think I fluffed around most of the time. Sorry, pies. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a good. It's all right. It's yeah, all right. you're here now. You're, you're paying back. What, yeah, what paying to. it forward. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but moving to the netball side was. Um, was that a lot to do with your family? Was it to do because you loved Collingwood? Did you think eventually you'd play with footy? What was mm. – like you you had a, an amazing – was it two years at the Swifts? Three. Three. So amazing yeah. three years at the Swifts. Yeah. Um, you were the star. Again, I'm going to talk about the crowd because it was amazing to be on the court when the crowd were going nuts for you, even when you were, I was on the opposite side. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, why why the move? Um, yeah, for that exact reason. And it was really hard. Do you know what? When I left, because obviously I've always liked to make really well-informed decisions. And so I had my pros and cons list about staying in Sydney and moving to Melbourne. And Sydney was just all pros and the majority of Melbourne was cons. But there was that one thing on the top of the Melbourne list, which was family. And I'd lived interstate for 10 years. I was getting really lonely. I was single. Um, and I just, I already had depression, but I didn't know that I had depression. So I was trying to find an answer for that loneliness. And yeah. so I moved back to Melbourne. Um, yeah, and the fact that Collingwood had a team was definitely like a, I was already contemplating moving home. I'd been offered a contract with the Vixens a few years prior and I was like on the edge, like mm, maybe, but mm. still obviously playing really well. And then when Collingwood were like, all right, we've got a team. I was like, you know what, stuff it. This is just, I saw it as a sign. There were magpies everywhere in Sydney. Now I know there's magpies everywhere in Australia. But <laughs> I did the same I saw thing. It as a, I saw it as a sign. They're everywhere, aren't they? We'd be driving and Brooke would be like, there's another magpie. Yeah. Like, where was our heads at? Like, I don't know. 
But yeah, so I was like, definite sign seeing magpies everywhere, even though they're probably the most common animal in Australia. Um, so I was like, this is it. It's my time to my time to come home. And I had two beautiful nieces. So my first niece was nearly two years old, and my sister was about to pop with the second. And I just thought they didn't know who their auntie was. And I wasn't okay with my sister's friends being an auntie over me. And so I needed to be Auntie Shani. Yeah, I love that. And you've got a, an amazing connection with them now. And yeah. you've, you've made the right move. You've met your fiancé here. Yes, I know. Very lucky. Met my beautiful man. Getting married soon. So yes. exciting. Um, but just quickly, I'm just I'm going to stop with netball because you are an AFLW player. Mm. But last question um, on netball. Do you think you retired too early? No. I, I retired too early for other people. I think other people were still ready to keep watching me play. I still get messages um, that people miss watching me play, which is just so beautiful. Um, but I was so ready to go. Like yeah. I was um, – and for me it wasn't the playing, it was the training. Like there's just not enough variety in netball for me. And when you've done it for 14, 15 years at the elite level, that's not including childhood, um, you know, it was – yeah, probably a bit longer. But anyway um, – it was just the same training, sideline to sideline to sideline, catch the ball, dodge, catch the ball, dodge. And I love that bloody sideline. Oh, my God, <laughs> I hate the sideline. Um, and so not that there's anything wrong with it, but I just needed some something new in life, I think. And as I said, I'd gone through that depression and I realised that netball wasn't serving me as a person anymore. And so, you know, getting back in touch with that spiritual side, I'll always listen to my intuition over what I should do, like, logically. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, that's why I was just like, it's my time. I just knew. Like, I can't – it's really weird to say that you just have this knowing in your gut in what direction you want to go in. But I believe in life you need to be able to let go of something for something new to arise. And as long as I kept on holding on to netball – I wouldn't have had a new opportunity in life. And it wasn't just that. It was the fact I'd moved back to Melbourne and I still didn't get to see my family because netball commitments, you know, we are full-time athletes. Mm. Netball are full-time athletes now. Um, And so I wanted to choose a lifestyle that incorporated my family. Yeah. Well, I asked you that question because you've... Your second year into AFLW, you make the All-Australian. So it's not like your body was breaking down. Like you're Mm. in such good form now, especially with footy. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, it's like a really... Good insight with that because I, yeah. I still say to people, oh, she'd kill it with netball still. Yeah. Like, so it's, I don't know if I could though. Oh, mate, you would. Please. Yeah. Please. <laughs> Full. <laughs> Full. Um, but you won. So we're at footy now. Yeah. Footy world. How was that first training session? You've gone from the Australian goalkeeper yeah. into a completely new sport. How yeah. was that? So hard. It was just the running. The running was so hard because I'd um, obviously spoken to Wayne about joining on with the team um, that first year as a rookie and he'd taken me out for a kick and, like, you know, we'd have a kick to kick at training and I could kick, I could mark, I could handball. But go run 5K, kick, mark and handball. And I was like, and run, like kick on the run. Get like a couldn't bump. Oh, yeah, get a little bump. Like no way. It was so hard. And I was just remember being so tired. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm so tired. This is such a, you know, people ask me, as I'm sure they do you as well, what's harder between netball and football? And I say netball's harder on the body, but football's harder 
like into that physical like pounding on the netball court. But football's harder in regards to your energy depletion. Like it just depletes all of your energy because you're running around so much and then it takes me so much longer to recover even after training sessions in comparison to netball for me. So, um, yeah, it was so funny because I was like training was so hard and then I was so tired the next day and then I had to do it all over again and I was just like, what have I done? (laughs) (laughs) And how how did you manage the energy thing? Like because, you know, running you obviously lose muscle. A lot Mm. of your game... Netball and footy is about muscle. So how did, yeah. how did you keep your muscle coming into year two? Uh, oh, well, I had to lift my muscle, like my strength training, because what I was doing in the first year, so which was probably similar to what I did in netball, wasn't enough. And like you said, because I did so much running and I don't have much fat on me, so when I run it just eats my muscle up, um, I got really skinny and then girls were just pushing me over and I was like, okay, coming into year two I need to be stronger to be able to compete in the ruck. Um, and so I did like a pre-preseason. So I did like an eight to 12 week preseason in the gym before preseason even started just to put that muscle on. So it was like a full three to four time a week strength program um, to get me up to the standard that I needed to be at. And would you say like the difference between you year one and year two is weights or would you... Weights and skills and experience. So I think having played, I was playing VFLW that year, so just playing week in, week out for 18 games. And even if I wasn't playing on the weekend because I was resting, then I was still training on a Tuesday and Thursday. So just understanding the game better, knowing where to run. I think, um, and I, I tell this to a lot of younger athletes, but, you know, I love that you get so much smarter when you're older and I wish that you could have those smarts when you're young, but you just can't. You can't take in that much information. Whereas yeah. I love now that you can give me a game plan and I can figure it out in my head and even though I'm still learning football, I can still point the younger girls in a direction of where to go and, you know, that's my strength now. So um, the fact that I can now stand on an oval and understand the game and know where people are meant to stand and do that kind of stuff, like it took me a season in VFLW to be able to understand that. And then on top of the weights, obviously I was doing extra training sessions with Tarkin Lockyer who was a coach for the men's team here and he would take me for one to two sessions um, a week as well and that one-on-one body contact, those basic skills that you can't do at group training because there's too many people, um, yeah, but it's just all doing It's just doing the hours. You know, at the end of the day, um, Malcolm Gladwell outliers, you just need to do your 10,000 hours. So I just had to get my hours up as quickly as possible between year one and year two. It sounds like you already know more than I do and I've been playing it forever. Oh, <laughs> no, nah, man. I'm trying in my head but I can't execute. <laughs> no, you're, you're unreal. And you're vice captain this year. You've, you've got the team's respect. Everyone absolutely loves you. What What are you going to bring to the team being vice captain? Um, well, I would like to think that I just bring – like I just love this group, Brazzy, you know, and obviously you're an incredible leader in our group as well and um, I think just to be able to I, – I can't bring – the football nous or knowledge to a leadership position, but um, I would like to think that I do have a very strong leadership style now and I just want, you know, in any team, you're only as strong as, you know, the last leader in your team. So for me it's all about bringing the young girls or the new ones up to the standard of what we created last year um, and encouraging them to get on the same level, to push each other at training, to be encouraging. And I love our club and I love how fun it is and I want everyone to have as much fun as what I do and I know that sport and elite sport can get really serious at times. Um, But I think it's so important to keep having that fun aspect. So I hope to bring that as well. You talk about the fun and, like, you you watch your footy game and you can tell you're having 
a ball of fun out there. You, you, you're laughing, you're smiling, yeah, you're, you're, you're chatting. You can hear, hear you on the field <laughs> banging like in the stands. It's incredible. Yeah. But did you have that fun with netball? Because I, like, I struggle to talk, tell people the difference in the side mm. of that because for me netball was my ultra ego, you know, like once yeah. I cross that line – I can't tell you what's going to happen. Where footy, yeah. I can I already know what I'm going to be like. Are you similar to that? Yeah, it's bizarre, isn't it? I don't know why either, but same thing. Netball, I definitely had an alter ego. I've still got a little bit in footy because you got to have a little bit of grunt about you if you've got people running at you in the ruck. Um, however, in netball, yeah, my alter ego was about – my enjoyment came from having a really good performance. And so I think my mindset has shifted from playing netball to football. In netball, I had to play well. I had to get the most amount of intercepts. My team had to win, you know. Like, you know how I was yeah. so aggressive if we lost a game. I'd just crack it. Like, I just – I didn't do losing. I hated losing. And so um, – you know, but it was a really unhealthy mindset. So now my mindset has shifted a lot around, okay, I now know how to have a good performance but still enjoy myself at the same time. Whereas I think in netball I got um, the fun gets beaten out of you a little bit because you can get interpreted as um, not taking it seriously. But I don't believe that's the case. I like to see people having fun and pushing themselves hard and I totally believe they come hand in hand. And I'm so glad that I can do that in football. Yeah, mm. yeah, that's great. So Shani, Leighton, 2021, you've got a lot happening. Mm. You'll be, I guess, getting married in the new to the new yes. year. Like you'll be getting married in 2020 but celebrating in 2021. It's going yes. to be very exciting, getting married on New Year's. And you're bringing out a book. Yes. I'm so, I'm so excited to see what next year brings you. But your wedding, let's talk about that first. Yeah. If we're meant to get, you're meant to get married, is it March or April? Um, April. I was in to get married Hawaii. In April. Yes. So COVID obviously hit. That didn't mm. happen. It's gone from Hawaii to moving to November. Now we're New Year's. Are yes. you confident we're going to get there with COVID? And how are you going? How's the wedding plans? Um, I don't know if I'm. Com- I was confident until the flight started coming in today, and now I'm just like, ah, just push them back a month. Give us another month of freedom. But 100%. you know, I'm just hoping that the quarantine system goes well and that everyone does the right thing and we can stay open. But yeah, I think I'm really excited now. Me and Luke, we had planned in April and postponed it till November and then we had to postpone it again to New Year's Day. Um, and so now, yeah, we're just hoping hoping that it goes ahead. But either way, we're just, you know, we're so excited um, and we've been – do you know what is the coolest thing? We had to hire a celebrant because our last wedding was going to be in Hawaii so we had to get a new celebrant in Australia and we sent her what we were going to have read um, written at our ceremony um, in Hawaii in April and we were like, we want to buy a house, we want to get a gym and a shed and we want to buy a horse and I wanted to buy a horse. Um, <laughs> anyway, everything that we wrote down, we did this year. Yeah. So that's really cool. We so we're like that now in your – your wedding speech. I know. How good's that? So it's like it was, you know, really hard and obviously like extremely frustrating not being able to have the wedding go ahead. But the fact that we got, we achieved everything that we wanted to um, after the wedding, before the wedding, and we still get to get married with all of our friends and family. Like we organised New Year's Day with 20 people and we were like, let's keep it at 20 and we'll just hope for the best. And the fact that now we can have everyone there that we wanted, it's just the best. So we're very excited. I'm very excited to marry the man of my dreams. Yeah, we're all excited. 
excited. And like everyone loves Luke. So yeah. Oh, he's Him the best. in a netball dress just looks incredible. I know. Uh, hope he looks a little yeah. bit. Yeah. <laughs> coming up for your wedding. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you book. No apologies. Yeah. Tell me about it. What's what's well, with the name? We don't even need to like talk about it because like with, this is my book. Everything we've chatted to, yeah. it, literally everything we chatted about today is in the book. So if you want more in depth, go buy the book. But um, no apologies, and that's exact reason. Like I've had my ups and my downs. I've learned so much through life, but I don't apologize for any of it. Whether I've stuffed up, whether other people have stuffed up, um, life is about a journey of learning, you know, and so, you know, if a, a life with no lessons would be extremely boring and so I don't apologise for anything that I've done even though it might have caused a few tears here or there along the way and it's just, it's raw, it's honest. Um, you know, I obviously moved around a lot from Victoria to Adelaide to Sydney, back to Melbourne, stopping over to football. So I just go into depth around why I made those decisions and what my learnings were from them. And I also go into depth about, so obviously I started sports psychology work when I was 17 years old because I had really bad anxiety and I used to get anxiety on the netball court. So, um, you know, I've got all my tips from what I learned from my psychologists around how to deal with anxiety, how I knew it was anxiety and to how to deal with that. And then obviously managing that throughout my career to a point where I forgot about it, but then obviously it crept up on me again later on and it slapped me in the face and I had to deal with it a lot more. Um, So yeah, it's, uh, I hope, like it's just my story straight up. Like I'm not saying do this, do that or whatever, but I do hope by being raw and honest that people can, um, you know, take something out of it and give themselves enough confidence to get themselves out of a bit of a crap spot, whether it might be a job that they don't like being in, whether it might be that they're not in great mental health or whatever, just to be able to go, actually, I do have the power to do something about this and that they can do something about it. Mate, you're one amazing human and I can't wait to read it. I think even though I know you pretty well, I want to read it just to get some more insight. Um, But thank you so much for being my first guest on Coffee with Braz. You're you're an amazing human, amazing friend, amazing athlete, um, and I can't wait to see what next she brings. Thanks so much, Braz. Thanks for the great interview. Cheers, sister. Mm. Thanks, girl. Pre-coffee training. Yeah. Mate, that soy milk is disgusting. (laughs) Uh, ah! (laughs) Oh, 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 o